for the most part, we learn to live with a lower level of accountability or it's, and it's not so much a lower level as it is. We're not really clear about what we're accountable for. Are you in a leadership role trying to figure out how to convince others to change their mind? Have you ever wondered why is leading and influencing others so darn hard? Are you looking for practical answers to these two vital questions? If so, welcome to my podcast, Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper. I'm your host, Denise Cooper, and I am a storyteller. I interview thought leaders and people just like you who are learning and practicing the art and expanding on the science of leadership. Listen as my guests and I talk about what it takes to be a remarkable leader in the 21st century. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode in a special series for Closing the Gap podcast. My name is Alexa Greer, and for those of you who may remember, Denise and I have recorded podcast episodes in the past where I've been the one interviewing her for a change. Now, Denise and I have worked together for the past year or so, doing all kinds of project management, public relations, even some some DEI from time to time. And I feel that our relationship allows us to have an intimate conversation about some of the topics that you all ask about most frequently. Listen in and hear more. So Denise, I'm really excited to be interviewing you today. Tell our listeners a little bit about who you are, what you do, and what your background's like. Well, you know, it's always tough to have that question in here, but I'll I'll give you the short side of it. So I have 25 years that I admit to in HR. And funny, it's been one of those things that was very unique at the time because it was I started in HR before we had such a big issue around culture, inclusive workplaces, and that I was always asked to be on these jobs or work for these companies that really had talent issues from a how do we build a high-performing, inclusive culture? So I've worked in the U.S. I've had in the United States and Canada, Mexico, European, Asian companies or Asian employees up under me trying to think through how do we, based on their culture, their ethnicity, their, you know, just the way they grew up, all kinds of things, people who have no reason to work together, how do we get them to work together better? How do we get them to focus on a single purpose and then align resources against that. And then how do you help people, you know, in the process? Because in prioritizing things and what where we're going, sometimes that means you're, you know, the most important. And sometimes you're not on that. And what does good performance look like? And so that became the specialty that I have. And then, of course, my parents, some of you may know or not, my parents got sick. I couldn't be a corporate jock anymore because it went from trying to understand how people work together to profits became more important. And I made the decision to jump out. And a friend of mine said, hey, you know, you ought to be a coach. And I was like, what are the coach? It was well before, you know, I've been doing this 15 years now. So it was well before coaching became a thing. And my business had to be virtual. So, you know, 99% of my clients, I actually never met. But I coached them for six months to three years through their business. So this idea of coaching virtually, working with people virtually, it can work if you have the skills to be able to do that. And so that's really where I came from, is how do you create the structures both, you know, on a a micro level with a supervisor, a manager, or an employee, as well as from a corporation's point of view, how do we manage the entire culture, 
what HR practices, how do they get inculcated into the workplace, et cetera, for small, mid, and large size organizations. Thank you so much, Denise. I am really excited for our topic today, which our conversation is going to be all about how do we create workplace cultures that prioritize accountability? And Denise, I know that this is something that you and I talk about all the time. I know that whether you're working with an entire organization, whether you're working with an individual who's a client, accountability is a topic that comes up all the time. And so I'm curious to know from your perspective, almost like what are the green flags that you see as an executive trainer for signs that a workplace is prioritizing accountability on their teams and within their organization? Well, I think it really is about what are the conversations people have and what are the reasons why people don't achieve their goals. And so the green flags look like, you know, people are clear on what the deliverables are. 99% of the population, when they give their word, they actually deliver on their word on time, those kinds of things. The supervisors or management team itself is capable of following up on things without micromanaging what's going on. And they're really good at boundary management as well as resource management. And so they understand and they're connected in a way to how work gets done without doing the work, but they have the feedback loop from their employees that lets them know when they've reached their end, how the process is going, where they need to step in, where they need to back up, those kinds of things. So when you start seeing those things, you know that accountability is not only a priority, but you also know that it's not something set aside. It is part of the fabric of the culture of the organization. And when you have it as the fabric of the culture of the organization, when new employees come in, they quickly sense what's okay and what's not okay, and they fall right into it. It's almost like a self-generating kind of behavior in an organization. You know, simple things like we say we're going to have a one-hour meeting. And guess what? You have one hour meetings or less. So it's simple things like that, that you can look around and say, oh, yeah, you know, we say that our customers are the most important people. We have to take care of our customers. Well, anybody in the company can call out, hey, the customers are not getting taken care of. And somebody's going to actually listen to them. Right. Yeah. Something that I love that that you said was this idea of boundary management being a green flag for accountability. And I'm curious, I mean, I'm well aware that that could absolutely be its own podcast episode, but can you tell us a little bit about what that relationship is like? What is the connection between boundary management and accountability? Well, so accountability, it can be self-generated or it can be generated by the organization, the culture, the people around. And so it's really this idea of I'm accountable for getting my stuff done, what I own that way. Boundary management is understanding where your box, your puzzle piece in an organization fits and that the value of you playing your puzzle piece well enables the organization as general to succeed. And so that's probably the simplest way of thinking about boundary management. Where do I end? Where does someone else begin? What's my puzzle piece? What am I responsible for delivering? And that I want to deliver and I have the tools to deliver well on what's my puzzle piece. Right. And hearing you say that too, it also reminds me that when we set good boundaries, 
I feel like it helps us as individuals to be more accountable to what is actually ours, like strictly from a time management point of view. If you're constantly extending that boundary, you know, really pushing yourself, oh, I can do that. Oh, sure. Like, you need me to do this? I'll do it. You know, it, it just leaves less and less time for those pieces, which truly fit within your puzzle piece, as you call it. It, it makes it hard to be accountable if you say yeah. yes to everything. Yeah. Yeah. And or you're playing other people's places or parts, right? It looks like I've worked in organizations where there was an official system and then there's the way we get things done system. And so, oh, okay. There's an expert on the official, but there's a, another expert on the way things get done around here. Well, you now don't have good boundary management because which is it? The official way we get things done or the way things get done around here? So now what you have is leakage. And what are people really getting recognized for? And oftentimes, those people who we know how to get things done around here are not as valued in the organization. It makes it difficult to move them because they are the niche or the linchpin to getting work done. And if you move them, promote them, send them to another department, if they grow, they can outgrow the role that they're in. And it's a tough place because when you're known as the person who gets things done in this particular way, you're the expert that enables others. There's a lot of, you know, pride that just kind of goes along with, yeah, that's what I do. And this is what I recognize. But from a financial compensation point of view, hierarchy point of view, you may or may not get recognized for being able to do that. So poor boundaries and allowing things to have official ways of getting done and unofficial ways of getting done confuses people. And as Benet Brown says, clear is kind and unclear is unkind because people don't know how to navigate. Absolutely. And that's something that I've seen as well, the unofficial versus official and the conflicts that can arise because of that. I'm curious then on the flip side. So we, we talked about green flags. Can you talk to us a little bit about some high-level red flags that you've noticed when providing coaching or working with an organization that doesn't prioritize accountability? What does that look like? Well, I think it, it's just more of a confusion because in the end, you know, the priority always is, is the company making money? Does it have a pipeline of people, customers? that's coming there. And oftentimes what you find is that we're really good at prioritizing those kinds of results, but not behaviors that might lead to those results. So a company may wind up not staying current and being able to be flexible when things change in the marketplace for them. We might see, you know, it's interesting. I was watching Undercover Boss last night and there was a new boss there or a new CEO that's there. And basically what they do is they put on a persona. They tell their employees that they're, you know, there for some documentary. And usually it's a turnaround documentary or something like that. And they learn the job from the ground up. And what I always find very, very interesting about the show, and I think any CEO, any C-suite person can begin to learn is, the things that you think are happening based on sitting in corporate generally may not be happening in the field and generally aren't happening in the field. 
And in this particular episode, they had, there was a franchise business. They had old buildings, old facilities that weren't updated and people were just struggling to be able to keep it up versus the new facilities, the new shiny ones <laughs> that yeah. were ergonomically friendly and the best. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and so, you know, what are we accountable for, for that? Are we accountable for treating our customers the same? Are we accountable for making sure the experience that our customer has is the same? Are we accountable around what the employee experience is and the resources that they have and the tools that they have to do their job? Are we really accountable for making sure that they are capable of doing the best job that they possibly can do? Those kinds of things. And so those are general, you know, those are kind of interesting red flags. I'm not sure they're red flags, but they certainly are things that put a drain and a drag on an organization achieving its goals. And the simple simple, simple, simple thing, which is why I like the Undercover Boss series, is by simply just going to several places, not from a place of I am the CEO, but just the place of being a customer, of having to work the line, of having to understand you know, what is fast and what is expected and how the process actually works, how the communication happens from corporate, wherever corporate is, to the front line. It's those kinds of things that begin to help you understand what is really important and what do people hold themselves to accountable and what do managers hold their employees accountable for? I think that's a great example. I also love that show. So I'm glad that you brought that up. Something that that I was thinking about in regards to this conversation is there surely are times where a leader joins an organization or maybe they've been in an organization for a long period of time. And then one day they, they just kind of realize after seeing this, the behaviors, the culture that you talked about, they realize that their organization does not value accountability. Where do you go as an individual once you've had this aha moment about your organization? Well, for the most part, 90 plus percent of the population learns what is the priority and how to be accountable. And they learn to live with it. They grumble. Engagement is not as high as it possibly could be. They have to work harder in certain areas and not areas out of it. But for the most part, we learn to live with a lower level of accountability. Or it's, And it's not so much a lower level as it is we're not really clear about what we're accountable for. So instead of it being really clear, what we go for is what we see and what others tell us. And that's open and subjective to all kinds of interpretations. And so what you find is it's not that companies aren't necessarily built around a culture of accountability. The question really is, what are we accountable for? Where are the places that if we go outside of those values, outside of those end results, we've crossed the line? And then who is responsible for bringing us back in line around those kinds of things? And does it happen? How does it happen? When does it happen? How far outside of the line do we have to be before we say, we got to go back kind of thing. And so it's not so much that a company or a group of people are not accountable or they are accountable. It's about what are they accountable for? What is it that they get recognized for? What do they get resourced for? What do they get rewarded for? And where is the area where if they step over this line, 
they've suddenly gone too far. And what happens when you go too far? Right. Yeah. Clear is kind. That, mm-hmm. that really checks out, Denise. Mm-hmm. So the, the clearer, I mean, is it really as simple as what am I accountable for? In this role, you are accountable for X, Y, Z, you know, is it really that easy? Yeah. And most people are not, you know, most people don't ask that question because there's a difference between what am I accountable? So accountability is around what authority do I have to do and where do I do it? And then there's the goal, which basically is the end result. So if I do my job, I bring my expertise, I hold myself accountable on delivering and these kinds of results, this is the result that will happen. Too often we judge accountability by the results that we achieve versus starting at the first place of what's your span of control? What is it that it takes to do a good job? What do we expect you to have the authority to do? What do we expect you to do when you're in areas where you don't have the authority to make actions or to convince people? Do you take it to your boss? Do we expect you to influence others who have no reason to work, you know, work with you? What are our expectations around your ability to deliver what we have said is the result we want you to achieve? Wow. I'm getting the impression that this is one of those things that might be easier said than done. Absolutely. Um, (laughs) Absolutely. I don't know. I'm not sure if it's something that is uniquely American or if this is just, you know, a, a human quality, but I think that yeah, it can feel vulnerable to have conversations that are so direct and so, yeah, straight to the point. And I feel like it's difficult to get to that place, especially as somebody who maybe you've never had those types of conversations before. Maybe you've never worked for a leader who has valued that kind of contribution from their team. But regardless, it it still sounds worthwhile. It is worthwhile. And, you know, the area that we're all learning is this idea of work-life integration, right? We don't have good role models around it that we know of. You know, we have old models. We're not quite sure that will fit in the new world. We're a very high-tech world now. We have disjointed communities. Many of us don't live near our relatives or our relatives are scattered. So that support system is no longer there. And we think that, you know, the senior jobs or jobs where, you know, you can lean in and just do the work. But where do we learn how to have good conversations with people that result in fruitful change out of it? How do we practice that? What does that mean? Today, going back to school to get an MBA is one thing, but your ability to use that to bring value to the corporation is what you get judged on. It's not that you have it. It's that what are you doing with it? And too often what I hear people coming to me is I got this MBA because they said an MBA was required for this job or a BA was required for this job. Well, that in one, it devalues anyone who might be capable of learning how to do the job without going back to school. So that's one thing that you have to think about. But the other side of it is, is achieving an MBA, achieving a degree It's not what we pay you for. We pay you for results. And the result is not getting more education. It's applying that education to make changes, to see something through, to be able to do those things. And we don't have a lot of conversations around that. And often people who come to my speeches, people who attend the training session, they are flabbergasted over, oh, but I use it. 
but what did you use it to deliver? Because it's not the MBA, it's what you delivered. How did you use what you went to school for to get that BA to enable other people to be able to do great work that enabled you to do great work? And how do you talk about that? Right. Because if you can't do those things, then I've got several pieces of paper that the audience can't see. (laughs) (laughs) Certifications, MBA, bachelor's degree, Mm -hmm. you know. But that's not what people come to me. And that's not what your boss comes to you for. What they come to you for is making the change. We were in this place before. We are now in this place. You get paid for how many times do you get us to the new state? Not <laughs> Right. Yes. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, thank you for the reminder. I feel like it's always so important to think about that application piece. Mm -hmm. And I guess as we're getting ready to close out, I'm curious to know if someone's in an organization and they are building that, that culture of accountability, what does maintenance look like? Because as we know with workplace cultures, it's not something that you set and forget. It's this breathing, living thing how do you keep a good thing going once it's there? You pay attention to it. Think of it as a flower. You know, you can get a new flower, put it in a great pot, water it for, you know, three months, four months, give it sunshine, et cetera, and it works. And then you don't pay attention to it. You know, it's still sitting on your desk or something like that. You overwater it, you underwater it. Maybe it doesn't get enough sunshine. You don't pay attention to it. What's going to happen to that flower? Over time, it dies or it looks sickly. It doesn't, mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't have that luster. That is the reason why you bought the flower in the first place. But another thing that we don't often talk about with the flower is there's a time for it to grow and there's a time for it to rest. Leaders who really understand how to navigate and think about their culture know how to put the pressure on to move to the next level, but also take the pressure off so that people can get used to it. They can feel like they are capable, confident about being able to navigate before they have to keep pressing them to get to the next level. They have an opportunity to learn new systems. And I'll make it even easier than this, than the flower analogy. Everybody is now understands that at some point, if you have a cell phone, there's going to come a time when the carrier will update that phone. If you have an app, at some point, they're going to update that app. What's the most annoying moment when that update comes and it changed everything that you were used to doing? Experience and feel right now what that meant to you when you woke up and they updated your phone and things ain't where they used to be. Uh-huh. Yes. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> now your brain tells you clearly <laughs> that the update is necessary, right? Yes. But your body is like, <laughs> why? Because you can't meet the expectations that you had. You have to slow down 
and you don't plan for the slowdown, that pausing. Well, when you're built, when you're thinking about sustaining your culture, you have to understand the ebb and the flow of when you introduce change, it's going to cause people to be weary and irritated. And yet you have to keep the pressure on to get them to the next level. You've got to shift the accountability from where they were to what is it that your new expectations are. Tell them what that is, help them get there. And then if they're not getting there fast enough, then you've got to do other interventions, faster, slower. Those kinds of things have to be paid attention to. Time for growth, time for rest. Time for growth, time for rest. That's how you think about it. It's not a straight line. We are dealing with living beings and people inside your organization and outside your organization. And they, we generally react to change the same. And leaders have to pay attention. And when we're talking about setting up goals, when we're talking about holding people accountable, you have to set the accountability to match pushing and resting, growing and resting. Does that help? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, that's a great answer, Denise. Thank <laughs> you. And for everybody listening, as somebody who has been working with Denise for the last year or so, she is somebody who is very good at this. So I can personally vouch that this is <laughs> definitely something that you do very well, Denise, and something that I can only hope to grow as a skill set for my own, too. Oh, you have it. You do well. You know, all of us have our skill sets and the key is understanding what are our skill sets and how do we navigate them? How do we use them so that we are not only fulfilling ourselves, but those people who are around us? Yes. Um, because we are communal. And when we lift other people up, when we can inspire them, it makes us better. Amen, Denise. Well, thank you so much for this gripping conversation. I feel like we covered a lot of ground, but it's a topic that people ask about all the time. So I'm glad yeah. that we covered it. Where can people find you these days, Denise? Well, you know, it's interesting on that. Obviously, I'm on all the social media or not all of them, but a lot of the social media. They can find me on Twitter. They can find me on Instagram, LinkedIn. We have a Facebook page. But I think the most interesting thing right now is, is that we're trying to, or I'm trying to, well, I say we, because it is a team of us putting this thing together. We're trying to interact with people and get them more answers besides just listening to the podcast, but to be able to ask us their own answers. And so what we've done is on the website, we have a portal where once a month, you'll have an opportunity to talk to me, ask your questions. You can send me questions get back to you in terms of what we're going to say and, and to be able to get a bit of handholding. It's not the same as being a client, but you know what? It gives some opportunity for people to find some good answers, simple answers from or simple questions from, you know, where can I find a coach? How would I know I have a good coach or how do I find a mentor and what would a good mentoring relationship look like to, you know, some of the things that we've talked about on previous podcasts is from, you know, my employee or my boss is not a good person. How do I, you know, they're not good at what they're doing. How do I have that conversation with them? What does compassion in the workplace look like? You know, I'm struggling with work-life integration. I'm struggling with even, you know, the topic that we talked about today, which is how do we set accountability? How do I set good boundaries and things like that? 
And so we kind of expect a lot of conversations around that in those once a month meetings. And we invite anybody who's interested in just hearing, sign up, the recordings will be available. So if you can't make that time, you have an opportunity to hear and to follow and to engage with us. So I think that's probably the newest way. Oh, and you know, last but not least, you can always buy the book, you know, Remarkable Leadership Lessons, Change Results One Conversation at a Time. It's on Amazon. So there are many ways in which people can learn a little bit, explore, touch these concepts, as well as reach out to me. Well, thank you again, Denise, for a great conversation. And thank you all for tuning in. Stay posted for our new episode next week, and you'll be hearing from us soon. Thanks so much. Bye, everybody. That's a wrap. And I'm Denise Cooper, and you've been listening to Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper. Let me thank my good friend, Ivan G. Hall, for the background music. I'd like to ask you to do three things. One, if you liked it, share it with your friends. Let's build up our community. Two, subscribe so that you don't miss when a new episode drops. And lastly, if you've got a question or a comment, leave it below. I'd love to hear what you thought was good, what I could do better, and what topics you'd like to hear about. Let me thank my guests one more last time. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. Bye.